One of the descriptors you hear a lot is Baroque. Another is classical, but wedged between the two is the gallant style. It emerged from the Baroque era, but it's different from Baroque in several ways. Baroque music was complex, polyphonic, grandiose, and the gallant style is strived to be elegant, refined, and graceful. Straightforward is another way you can describe it. In the gallant style, we began seeing writing melodies with supporting harmonies. Say goodbye to polyphonic writing, fugues, and the complex and clunky harmonic transitions. Music became more, say, predictable, if you like. One composer that emerged from the gallant style was the Italian cellist composer Luigi Boccherini, and last week we marked his 280th birthday. Welcome back to Accelerando. I'm Paula Tuttle, and this week we're talking about Luigi Boccherini, a virtuoso cellist and composer. We don't hear that much about Boccherini these days, and one reason he's overlooked, he was part of that transitional period in music, the time between Baroque and classical, the gallant style. In Italy during the 18th century, we had the Neapolitan school. Not only was music big business for churches and courts, there were institutions dedicated to cranking out music weekly for the 300 churches in Naples, the 100 churches in Rome, and the 100 churches in Venice. All these churches needed musicians, singers, castrati, organists, and composers. So Italy created the conservatory, a place for apprentices in music. The conservatories were made up of a lot of orphans, and this is where the word conservatory actually comes from. These orphanages in Naples, Rome, and Venice—they were called conservatories because they did a community service by schooling the orphans, and they made money to support themselves by training the orphans in all things music. This is also where composition was taught. And if you weren't an orphan but you wanted to study music, you went to these conservatories at a very young age. So when we hear composers entered a conservatory at age eight or ten. That was the normal time to enter a trade school. Education in the 17th and 18th century wasn't like schooling today. If you wanted to learn a variety of subjects, you studied at home or later at university. School for children was apprenticeship, maybe becoming a blacksmith, a silversmith, or even an apprentice to a painter or sculptor. But there were apprenticeships for music too, and the conservatories they leased their musicians to churches, their organists. Orchestral musicians, choristers, and composers, in an effort to fund the orphans' room and board. The Neapolitans—they developed this formulaic music. They were called partimenti, and they were really fragments which musicians used to learn to write music. They could be a baseline or a melody, and the students used them to learn composition. A music workbook. It's part of the reason that so many composers could write so quickly. They would fall back on these formulas and create a new piece that has its DNA in these little snippets. 
Boccherini studied in Lucca, which had about a dozen churches. And he obviously came from the Neapolitan school, and he knew about the Partimenti and the influence on the composition process. But he was not part of these music factories like we see in Rome, Venice, and Naples. He became a virtuoso quickly, and his father sent him to Rome to study with the music director at St. Peter's Basilica. Yes, where the Pope lives. Boccherini was the cream of the crop early in his life. He didn't study side by side with the apprentices in the conservatories. He studied one-on-one -on -one with the music director for the Pope. So why is Boccherini obscured to so many of us? I mean, why isn't he mentioned alongside Scarlatti, Vivaldi, Corelli, Rossini, Donizetti, Bellini, Verdi, and Puccini? I found him barely mentioned in the books that try to summarize all the types of classical music. In some, I got a few sentences, in others, a footnote. Boccherini was prolific, and it makes you wonder how many composers are completely unknown to us from that period. The Gallant Style. Boccherini is best known by this piece. It's part of a cello quintet, meaning a string quartet with a second cello. And it demonstrates the kind of elegance and melodic charm he was known for. It also demonstrates the gallant style, the forerunner of the classical era. Boccherini was one of the most prolific composers of the classical period, or whatever era you want to put him in. He wrote about 140 of these string quintets, and about 100 string quartets. Also, somewhere between 30 and 100 symphonies. He wrote 12 cello concertos, and a few violin concertos. The count on all of these is in dispute, since Boccherini didn't keep tight records of his own. Other people had to catalog his works. There's the Gerard catalog, the Saint-Denis catalog, and the Martini catalog. And there's the traditional opus attached to his works. Boccherini wrote so much chamber music, musicologists had their work cut out for them. There are pieces that people think Boccherini wrote, and then there are those that might be some other composer's works. Boccherini was the third and youngest child in a very musical family. His brother, Giovanni, also a cellist, he wrote librettos for both Haydn and Salieri. His father taught both his sons the cello, himself a professional double bass player. Luigi collaborated with his brother on a few works, but each went their own way and were quite successful. Luigi and his father were invited to play in Vienna when he was a young cellist, only 14 years old. Up until then, the young Boccherini studied in Rome at St. Peter's Basilica with the cellist Giovanni Battista Constasi. He was a rising star. When Luigi was studying in Rome, his compositional style stemmed from Corelli and Palestrina, meaning it was polyphonic. And most of the compositions in his early career were polyphonic, but he already had a penchant for stronger cello lines and a little bit of virtuosity, too. When he met Sammartini 10 years later, his style changed, and it was more conversational. His quartet writing compared to Haydn's was more interesting for cellists. 
So it should be noted that San Martini is also considered a composer in the Gallant style, this shoulder period. Both San Martini and Baccarini developed the string quartet after Haydn. They're the link between Haydn and Mozart, also transitioning from Baroque to classical. Two of Bach's sons popularized the Gallant style, J.C. Bach and C.P.E. Bach, and maybe they're mentioned more often because of their legacy. So our cello virtuoso hero Luigi, he went to Vienna three times over seven years. And the third time, he made his mark with a public concert of his works. In 1764, just after his successful Vienna debut, if you will, Luigi Baccarini obtained a permanent gig in his hometown of Lucca. And the next year, he worked with San Martini in Lombardy. And San Martini can be credited with showing Baccarini the ropes, helping him transition out of Baroque writing, helping him find the path to clear and graceful writing, the style he's best known for. What Baccarini brings to the Gallant period is a special focus on the cello. The intimate and elegant nature of his writing is truly a gift to those of us who favor the instrument. left Luca a year later after his father died, and he set out for Paris. He was embraced by the Parisians. Many works were consigned and published. String duets, trios, symphonies, and violin and harpsichord duos. And about three years later, he went to Madrid, where he worked in the court of Charles III. The king's brother paid Luigi a wage that would be in today's equivalent of well over $100,000 a year to compose and perform on his cello. This is where Baccarini started writing his string quintets. They were really string quartets to accompany himself, and often the solo cello parts were virtuosic. So having a good income, Luigi probably thought it was time to marry and have kids. He had five with his wife, Clementina. But in 1785, both his wife and the king's brother died, so he lost his income. It was a bad year for Luigi. So the king gave him a severance of about two years' salary, and Luigi was free to accept patronage from others, among them... Frederick William II of Prussia. He was an amateur cellist, and he was impressed with Baccarini's music. So during this period, Baccarini kind of stretched his legs. He started writing vocal compositions, coming a little late to the party. Maybe the reason he never got really crazy famous was he didn't write opera. But now he wrote a zarzuela, 
a kind of Spanish theater and a stabat mater, which is like an oratorio. Another year goes by and he marries again. And for a couple of years, we're not sure if Luigi and family moved to Berlin or stayed in Spain. His patron, William of Prussia, likely got him a gig, but we're not sure. But 10 years later, we know for sure the successor to William did not extend Boccherini's position. And another patron, a duchess, she moved. So Boccherini was not having a good year. His health declined. His wife and three daughters all died in the next three years, and he himself died soon after in 1805. His legacy, as we know it, is 100 quintets, 100 quartets, 50 trios, and about 50 other chamber works. His best-known composition is the B-flat cello concerto, which was compiled from two of his concertos and a sonata. This arrangement was done by the cellist Friedrich Gutzmacher, and he's known to us for his 24 etudes. In ability, they go from 0 to 100, meaning the first one is for beginners, and the last one is for virtuosos. So for the Baccarini cello concerto we all know and play, Gutzmacher took the ninth cello concerto, he melded it with parts of other concertos, he cut the second movement out of the ninth, and put in the second movement of the seventh concerto. And the fourth cello concerto also takes a little cameo appearance, 10 bars here and 10 bars there. He takes arpeggios from the fifth concerto, changes them from major to minor, and they're also featured in Gritzmacher's version. Gritzmacher topped it off with a cadenza written by himself. This concerto stands today as one of Baccarini's best-known works. There are a few cellists that still play the original Baccarini concertos. And they're really completely different from the one that Gritzmacher made. So we distinguish them, calling them original version and arranged by Gritzmacher. Many cellists recorded the Gritzmacher version, including Casals, Fournier, Starker, and Dupre, and Rostropovich. Among cellists who performed the original version are Stephen Isserlis, Anna Bilsma, Peter Wispelwi, Yo-Yo Ma, Maurice Gendron, and Jap Terlinden. Since it was Stephen Isserlis's post on a social media platform that made me aware of Baccarini's birthday, I'm going to post a link in the show notes of a YouTube recording of both of his Baccarini cello concertos number 9 and 7, the originals. There really aren't that many cellist composers. And if you consider especially those that enriched the instrument's legacy through their performance, pedagogy, and composition, Luigi Baccarini gets the top billing. He gave the cello significantly better parts in chamber music, and he wrote the first concertos. Beethoven never wrote a solo cello concerto, partly because of the ones Baccarini wrote. Beethoven didn't think he could do better. He did write the triple concerto, which is his only cello concerto. Sort of cello and friends. 
Jacques Offenbach, who came along 50 years after Boccherini's death, was an accomplished cellist and a French composer known for his operas Orpheus in the Underworld and Tales of Hoffman. Another small piece of trivia? Tales of Hoffman was the first opera performed at Pittsburgh Opera. Anyways, Offenbach, he was an accomplished cellist, and he performed in various orchestras. Dotzauer was a German cellist best known for his cello studies and chamber music works. He would have known Bacharini and Offenbach, possibly. He was younger than Bacharini and older than Offenbach. He was a prominent cello teacher and he lived a long life. He died at 77, considerably longer than Bacharini, who died at 62. David Popper was a bohemian cellist, one of the leading cellists of his time. All today's cellists play his etudes, and he wrote a lot of show pieces. He's known for his virtuosic cello compositions, especially the high school of cello playing, 40 etudes we all studied and we revisit during our careers. Of all the cello composers, we probably spend more hours in our career playing popper because we teach them too. He was born in 1843, so he overlapped with Offenbach and Dotzauer. Julius Klengel was a German cellist and a professor at the Leipzig Conservatory. And he taught a lot of prominent cellists, including Emanuel Feuermann, Gregor Piatigorsky, and William Pleath. So he's a main artery in the lineage of great cellists. All cellists have his scale book, Volume 1. He has a second book, Technical Studies Part 2. But he also composed hundreds of cello pieces, including four concertos, a concerto for two cellos, and the concertino, which is still in print today. Jean-Baptiste Berrier is older than Baccarini. Baccarini would have been about three years old when Berrier died. Berrier was a French cellist, but he first played the viol. He lived during a time when the cello itself was just emerging and gaining popularity over the viol in France. The cello was already popular in Italy for some 40 years. Berrier might not be well known today, but he was considered the greatest virtuoso in his own time published three volumes of cello sonatas with basso continuo, and he died relatively young. He was only 40 years old. Finishing up our list is Karl Davidoff. He was about the same vintage as Popper and Klengel. He was a Russian cellist and composer, and his pieces were quite virtuosic. He was the head of the St. Petersburg Conservatory for a time, and he's probably best memorialized by the cello he owned. It was a Stradivarius that went on to be played by Jacqueline Dupre, and it's now played by Yo-Yo Ma. Davidoff, like Popper, was influential in the development of virtuosic cello technique. His studies advanced the possibilities in the higher registers and advanced the possibilities of bow technique. He also transcribed several Chopin works for cello solo. Maybe we should add Bernard Romberg. George Goulterman, and Franz Schmidt, and Paul Tortelier. The list still isn't too long. Maybe you have a few more. Do you have someone we should add to our list of cello composers? If so, maybe you can send an email to cellorondocast at gmail. And you can make a comment or a concern, or if you just want to ask a question. Maybe you have an idea for a podcast. I'd love to hear what you have to say. That's it for this week, and please share the episode. 
You can also subscribe to Accelerando or listen to past episodes on the website at cellerandocast.com. Remember to support live music and the musicians who make their living doing it. We'll see you next time. Bye now. Bye.